are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Fantastic, Noah. How are you doing? Doing really well. Doing really well. Got a fun show today. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be breaking down the LSU offense and defense schematically, what they like to do. I'm going to go over what Paul Feinbaum said about Clemson. Uh, yesterday we've got some in on the fence or out we haven't done this in a while and the ones that we have today I don't feel great about because man four weeks into the season it's a, a lot of teams feel like they're on an even playing field right now yeah these are I always try and twist the knife a little bit with these <laughs> because I know it's hard for you to make some decisions on these in on the fence or out and there's some good ones right here a nice group of trios We've got four for folks when we do in on the fence or out coming up later on in the show. But we're going to start off today with Report Wednesday, taking a look at the LSU Tigers. Going to take a look at some of the things on pro football focus that we've seen. I know you've got some other metrics as well. What do these guys like to do schematically? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And how do they match up with Auburn? And what can Auburn do to exploit those weaknesses? And what can Auburn do to minimize those strengths? So it's a report Wednesday here on On the Line. And that's what we'll start it off with. We'll take this whole first segment looking at what we expect to see from LSU schematically. If you haven't watched the Bayou Bengals a whole lot this year, we've got some information here on what they're looking to do this season with two new offensive coordinators. But first... If you got any questions for us, if there's anything you want to talk about on today's show, whether it's Auburn related, Alabama related, Georgia, anywhere else in the country, talk to us. 334-321-1390. Lance, what do we expect to see from LSU? Well, offensively, whenever you look at the numbers and you've got some interesting uh, statistics here as well, it kind of feels like after looking at the entire product from LSU, it kind of feels like the way you play Madden, right? And I think the, the statistics on the surface reflect that. They throw the ball around a lot. They don't really run the ball at all, and it's not very effective. It's kind of the way that, that a lot of people play Madden. They go four verts. They go slants. They do a bunch of different things to just try and get the ball down the field, get it moving. When it comes to LSU, conceptually, when it comes to what they're going to do schematically, and you may have uh, pro football f- no, uh, focus numbers that reflect this, they run either slant concepts or they run all verts concepts. 8.8% of the time they'll run slants, and inside of those slants they'd like to do what's called the tosser concept, which is something that Tom Brady and the New England Patriots did a lot. It's also something that Western Kentucky did a lot for quite some time there at the college level. It's where you'll have two slant patterns on one side of the field coming together, and on the opposite side you'll have a high-low matchup. You'll have somebody either running some type of deep route, and then you'll have somebody running an out route And then at the same time, depending on which side of the field the slants are on, you're going to have a tight end clearing out as well. Five wide looks. It's a five wide look. And we saw that a lot against Mississippi State whenever LSU wanted to just kind of get things going through the air. They'd go five wide. And also we saw on a touchdown, I believe it was to Kayshawn Boutte, 
he caught a slant. It was some type of tosser concept where he just broke away. It was just a slant pass, and he just broke away. They also run slant flat concepts, which is essentially, if you've ever played matchup, it's just basic quick slants where you've got the slants running inside, you've got the flats running outside, and they'll throw something into the flat to the tight end. They'll throw something across the middle. It's very, it's very. I don't want to say simple because obviously there's a lot of different routes and stuff going it's on. It's one of the simplest concepts out there for a quarterback to read you're literally reading one portion of the field or one player if the flat's covered then you go slant if the slant's covered you go flat right it's an easy matchup to read it's they 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 like to put the ball in a lot of different places they'll go outside to the flats like I said they'll attack downfield with verticals they don't really use play action a whole lot and you've got numbers to reflect that they will occasionally use a flood concept where they will roll Max Johnson out and try and attack a certain side of the field, but it doesn't happen very often. And he it, doesn't use his legs a whole lot either, which is the beauty of the flood concept right. is that it makes those defensive backs have to make a decision between covering their man or the threat of the run from the quarterback because if they are perfectly playing in coverage, the quarterback oftentimes take it and run it will pick up an easy five yards right max johnson not a big threat on the ground though typically whenever the lsu tries to go to the ground according to sec stat cat and i don't know if this is 100 percent accurate and that's where all of these are coming from right just right. to let all, people know all of these concepts i'm getting from sec stat cat it's a fantastic website outside zone read is typically what they do they'll either pull something to the right side or they'll run something off tackle and it's just not really worked this season. They've not had a great success rate uh, running the football period, so I, I guess they don't have confidence to run the football inside, And but they're going to try and go outside, and that's not really working either. So again, it's very similar to 2019-2018 Madden, where it's just everybody's taking shots downfield and nobody can really run the ball. In, in my mind, it, this offense is very similar to that. Breaking down some plays and pass-run splits here, they and this is stats coming off of their website 65.25 plays per game a mild tempo this is obviously a spread offense a lot of times you will see them get into those five wide receiver sets it's not air raid or anything like that but they are throwing the ball more than your typical spread offense does in college football and of course that was ushered in by joe brady a couple of years ago and now look at who their offensive coordinator is now it's jake peets who was the understudy to joe brady at carolina last season there's a lot of those same types of concepts in the passing game being brought from the nfl into the college level and you're seeing them spread it out that way 65.25 plays per game it's a mild tempo they're not running a ton of pace they may not snap the ball you know with 30 seconds left on the play clock but at the same time they aren't moving at a snail's pace either it's still just your typical spread offense that has some pace to it then at other times it is just a mild tempo you look at the pass run splits they are heavily focusing at this point on the passing game it's a 57 43 pass run split so they're throwing the ball 57 percent of the time to running the ball just 43 percent of the time you look across college football most successful teams build this thing on the ground and then flesh it out lsu is in this position where they are not able to run the football effectively they build their offense around the passing attack that's pretty much all they've been able to do successfully they're averaging 2.9 yards per carry on the ground so they haven't been able to hashtag establish it they haven't been able to put it on the ground and build off of that they're having to build it out of their passing attack which 
based on how much pressure you're able to get on Max Johnson, and I'll get into these statistics later on in the show, those are not flattering numbers for Max Johnson when he faces pressure. And if you're able to put some pressure on this LSU quarterback, whoever it may be, whether it was a Max Johnson or a Miles Brennan, they were A, prone to mistakes, B, they became heinously less efficient, and C, the offense just stalls because they're not able to do anything because they don't have the rushing attack either. This is an offense built on the passing game. You look at the splits as far as passing depth is concerned. It's a short to intermediate passing depth. I tried to compare LSU a little bit to what Auburn does as well as what Penn State did, and they kind of fit in the middle. They're they're somewhere in between. You look at the depth, 10.4% of the time they're throwing it deep, 28.4% of the time intermediate, 38.8% of the time short, 12.7% of the time behind the line of scrimmage. So 51.5% of the time passes are within 10 yards or behind the line of scrimmage. That is still a lot, but that's pretty normal in college football. I feel like that's pretty normal in any level. That is going to be your largest bracket is short and behind the line of scrimmage. But they are throwing the ball in the intermediate pockets of the field a little bit more than Penn State did. Penn State lived in the short to behind the line of scrimmage. We saw a lot of screens in that ball game, wide receivers or bubble screens. We saw a lot of those against Auburn. Auburn is taking more downfield shots than LSU. Go figure. They're throwing the ball downfield like 18% of the time, nearly 20% of the time, as was Penn State. There's more shot plays coming from Auburn than LSU right now. But one thing to note, LSU has completed, or I should say Max Johnson has completed, five of his 14 passes downfield for touchdowns. So when they do take shots, they've been rather efficient. But they're not doing it off of the play action they're doing it off of their normal passing concepts 80 20 split between normal and play action only 11 percent of the time are they throwing screens this is an offense that possesses more verticality to it than maybe what we saw against Penn State which was a little bit more based on horizontal passing concepts of course there were some blown coverages downfield that Penn State took advantage of you think on some of their drives where they moved the football with ease it was like it was like warm butter right and a knife going straight through it and that was because they were just blowing coverage and they were able to hit tight ends for 10 15 20 yards downfield but Penn State at their core their play action take a shot downfield or everything's kind of at that line of scrimmage or within 10 yards LSU is living in that intermediate bracket and that is exactly where Max Johnson thrives exactly he's been really efficient in the intermediate game you look at this offense as a whole though they're 12th in the SEC in total yards per game so far this season at 377.8 obviously like we mentioned the ground game's not been able to get going they don't have a very mobile quarterback Max Johnson is a pocket passer 15 touchdowns three interceptions I believe he has the nation's current longest streak in three touchdown games I believe he's at six games now in a row where he's thrown at least three touchdowns. Max Johnson Max Johnson yeah. going into the Mississippi State game they threw up a bracket that said he had 20 TDs to three picks before that Mississippi State game across his career that's impressive and talk about the intermediate passing game according to pro football focus which is where I'm getting a lot of these statistics from according to pro football focus when he is throwing in that intermediate bracket he has a 90.5 PFF passer grade that's his most effective that's his most effective bracket on the field and that's something that concerns me for Auburn is it once should. you get into the second level right of the defense and you talk about the breakdowns and the miscommunications and just the bad pursuit angles and all these different things you wonder how Auburn's going to be able to stop what I feel like from a from a 
from from a skill position standpoint, LSU is more talented than Penn State, right? I feel like their receivers are incredibly talented. Now, Jahan Dotson, as a as a player alone, right? He's gonna be he's gonna be playing on Sundays, but. As far as talent's concerned, I think they're about the same, but the passing concepts are fleshed out a little bit more, a little bit more conducive to sure. a better passing offense than Penn State. I'm saying, like, outside of Kayshawn Boutte, I think they've got options. And if they want to attack the middle of the field, I think they can do it slightly better than Penn State can. And that worries me based on what we've seen from this the secondary so far this season. So if you're going to attack the middle of the field against Auburn, I think that's a good game plan. And if, if, if it's what LSU's already doing to co- coming into this game, to not have to make a ton of adjustments offensively at home, I think that's an advantage. It comes back to what a lot of callers have asked us about and what a lot of callers have pointed out, what we've pointed out. It comes down to the pass rush for Auburn because right. Max Johnson is a vastly different quarterback when he faces the blitz. Max Johnson has faced the blitz 42% of the time, according to Pro Football Focus this season. He's a completely different quarterback against pressure, according to PFF. Again, he's found himself against pressure. This isn't against a blitz, just when he has found himself against pressure He's found that happen 33.6% of the time. And when that does occur, his passer grade is 40.6, according to Pro Football Focus, which is awful. Under pressure, this is his stat line. Max Johnson has a 40.5% completion percentage, one touchdown, one interception. It's not a lot going there. No. Now, when he does not face pressure, he's got time to throw. He's got time to pick his spots. He's got time for his receivers to get open and he can deliver accurate stripes and he is decisive he can make pretty throws he's accurate he can hurt Auburn if Auburn does not get a pass rush on him which has been a huge issue for Auburn at this point LSU's pass protection isn't great the offensive line isn't good at all it's one of the worst offensive lines at this point in several statistics and running ball is just one of them also think pass protection could be a lot better for max johnson as well and some of their key games but the thing is if you can get a pass rush on him whether it's via the blitz or just sending three or four guys if you're able to do that then you're going to be able to limit what he can do but if you can't auburn's dropping a lot of guys into zone coverage so far this year and what's happening is receivers are finding the soft areas in the zone they're finding the open windows and the quarterback is hitting his guys when those windows open the longer that a team is in zone coverage without getting pressure on the quarterback those windows open up and receivers find those spots and the quarterbacks like max johnson who are decisive and accurate if you're not getting in his face he's going to find them he's going to deliver a catchable ball and the lsu receivers are going to make you pay and if he does have time to throw obviously you want to have this auburn defense at full strength not potentially having owen papo on the field this weekend i think could potentially be a problem obviously you've got sakobi mcclain back that's great but the, the the communication between these linebackers you saw it in the first half against georgia state it was it was just not good it was just flat out not good we need the veteran presences out there and again like you said we've seen it against penn state if auburn can't get pressure on a quarterback they're going to continue to run zone coverages they're going to be able to lsu is going to be able to exploit auburn defensively auburn's going to have to bring something Auburn's going to have to bring some more pressure, going to have to bullets more than what we saw in the Penn State game, which is pretty much the only meaningful football game that I feel like we have to go off of considering the other three opponents. But then again, Auburn didn't look good this past weekend, so I guess that's meaningful as well. I want to get to this rushing attack here before we go to break. Zone rushing attack, as is most programs in college football they don't run a whole lot of power 75 percent of run plays are zone scheme that's more than what Penn State's split was when we were going into that game 
most everything seems to be in between the tackles just in between that those those holes where the guard and the tackle meet that gap that that tends to be where a lot of these plays are ran it's in between that area on the field from what I've seen on film this offensive line especially if you're watching last week this offensive line is having a really hard time climbing to the next level to get blocks on linebackers and keep them out of the hole to be able to spring open these running backs and get them more than just the general two three yards which is actually subsequently where this offense is at at this point they're towards the bottom of the conference if not last in the conference in yards per carry at 2.9 they have played McNeese State and Central Michigan and a Pac-12 school that does not know defense because they gave up 40 to Fresno State and they're only averaging 2.9 yards per carry 2.9 that's horrible that is offensive line because these running backs outside of what the offensive line is giving them they're actually averaging well they have one running back that's averaging and he consistently touches the football Corey Kiner has more yards after contact more yards per after contact I don't know how to word that correctly yards per contact or whatever it would be than Tank Bigsby at this point at 4.44 Tanks went under went under four after this ball game against Georgia State on the year so they've got running backs that I think have talent they're just not getting help from the offensive line at this point and I wonder when you look at this rushing attack, right, you think, oh, well, they're not going to run the ball a whole lot. and They're not going to be able to, able to establish it, especially given all, how well Auburn's played on the defensive line in terms of stopping the run. Well, we saw Auburn break down last week defensively. Was that an anomaly? I believe so. But I really don't know what to believe heading into, into this week because also talking about the pass rush as well, talking about this offense as a whole. You would expect heading into the Penn State game on papers like, oh, Penn State's offensive line is bad. Auburn's defensive line has been pretty decent up until this point. They should be able to at least to get a slight amount of pressure or at least be able to contain Sean Clifford, who is not a solid quarterback. You head into this game. It's like, oh, LSU's offensive line. It's not very good at a whole lot of things. If Auburn does want to send pressure, they should be able to get after him. The numbers reflect that, right? But I just don't know if that's what Auburn's going to be able to do, right? On paper, it seems like, yes, that's what the Tigers should be able to do and will do because that's what LSU is bad at go exploit it but up until this point there have been so many different things that I go into with with Auburn expecting to happen and it's just not happened so far this year I think the most important thing again it all comes back to like what you were saying what we said in the Penn State game putting pressure on the quarterback forcing the the forcing the running game to completely come to a halt because I believe Auburn has the ability to do that if you're if you're averaging 2.9 yards per carry that's a you problem and like you mentioned you played McNeese you played Central Michigan that's a you issue Auburn will be able to stop the run if they if they if they are communicating like smoke Mondays Mississippi State stopped the run and still lost right you have to stop this passing game to win I want to look at this defense real quick right before we go to break here if you want to know what LSU looks like on defense look in the mirror they're, they are Auburn. That is how this defense operates at this point. I think Auburn's a much, 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 much better run-stopping defense. But in terms of schematically what they're doing, it's very similar. They're dropping a lot into zone coverage, a lot more than they did last year under Bo Pelini. They have switched to, to a three-man front primarily rather than where they were at last year with four-man fronts. Bo Pelini was man coverage all the time. They were going to blitz a lot last year, super aggressive. Seems like what Bo Pelini's personality would, would would flesh out inside of a defense, right? It's vastly different now and is a lot more indicative of the background of Durante Jones, which is coming from the NFL that does have a lot more zone coverage and what he did with the Minnesota Vikings. 
3-4 defense not overly aggressive with their pass rush either they are not bringing a whole lot via the blitz now this I thought when I saw this statistic according to pro football focus this that's where I got this from when I saw this I said that has to be a mistake right but according to pro football focus Will Rogers faced a blitz last week Mississippi State's quarterback faced a blitz zero percent of the time LSU didn't blitz once according to PFF last week and then against UCLA which was the other game that I went to measure that against I was like this has to be a mistake right they only blitz Dorian Thompson Robinson nine percent of the time so they're not blitzing hardly at all you think you're frustrated with Auburn not blitzing LSU fans are probably pulling their hair out at the fact that LSU's not blitzing so similar to Auburn a lot of zone coverage that's what you're seeing from LSU this season they believe in their secondary they have reason to believe in that secondary honestly I think they have reason to believe in that defensive line getting pressure alone they've been able to put some sacks up this year they were able to get like 20 sacks so far through four games now only five against Mississippi State and UCLA but that's still two and a half and I think they'll take that at this point they got four on UCLA against a mobile quarterback only one against Mississippi State but Mississippi State's getting the ball out a whole lot quicker and a lot of short passes so I think the pass rush is legit but they may only bring three or four guys so if Auburn could get their communication up front I think there's going to be a lot of time to throw for whichever quarterback starts which bodes really well but I've also got some interesting statistics about Auburn quarterbacks versus pressure at this point and this might shock you TJ Finley looks like a stud at this point under pressure versus Bo Nix, at least from a statistical standpoint. While they may be racking up sacks and TFLs, they still are one of the worst teams in the conference in both passing yards allowed per game and total yards allowed per game. Like you mentioned, if Auburn quarterbacks, whoever starts, has time, I think they're going to have some success. Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we talk about those quarterback splits between TJ Finley and Bo Nix. You don't want to miss it. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Solid show so far. If you want to join in, number to call 334-321-1390. And as promised, I want to take a look at some very interesting statistics here between Bo Nix and TJ Finley, both according to pro football focus. And it comes down to pressure for these two guys. Now, one guy's sample size a little bit larger than the other, but I think TJ Finley's sample size from Georgia State this past weekend suffices to make up for the lack of attempts here, at least facing against pressure. I know Bo Nix got the entire Penn State game, but I do find these things interesting and take them for what you will. But facing pressure this season, all right, we'll start with Bo Nix. When Bo Nix has been categorized as under pressure by pro football focus he has been five for 19 which is 26.3 completion percentage for 45 yards no touchdowns no picks bad right not good tj finley when i discovered this i said that can't be right like this is it doesn't feel like this but when pro football focus has categorized tj finley as being under pressure he has seven for 11 a 63.6% completion percentage, 85 yards, a touchdown, no picks. His passer grade this year from Pro Football Focus, what Pro Football Focus is grading him at, 89.7 this year when he's throwing the football. Boys, what? he's focused. He's having fun. Stop. Dude, Don't do this. This is what oh, ruined wait, yeah, Bo Nicks. Okay, yeah, okay, I'll stop. I'll, I realize that's what ruined Bo Nicks. Let's not say that. Let's just say, uh, I don't even know. He's playing well, all right? He, he played well against Georgia State under pressure. and Made a clutch play. And look, you would expect there that Bo Nix, after 
almost three years in this conference, would be able to collect himself under pressure. But I saw a lot of Auburn fans after T.J. Finley was like, man, you know why he was able to be so calm? You know why he was able to lead us on that 98-yard drive? It's because the experience that he got at LSU. I'm like, dude, we have a quarterback that's been here for three years. Like, how does that work, right? But still, though, the fact that he was able to maintain his composure and deliver some of the balls that he did, and obviously Pro Football Focus likes what he was able to do, it's really impressive, right? And moving forward, I think if you're going to look at which quarterback gives you the best chance to win after seeing what he did in such a high pressure pressure situation on over the weekend you got to be able to give him at least a, a, another shot right like definitely who would you start right now who it i think who there, there's it's a, wednesday you've had time to think about it there's a difference between who i think will start and who i want to start who do you want to start i want tj finley to start this game why because after seeing what Bonix has done, his collective product for what two and a half, three years now, you and I were talking about this earlier. It's easy to want T.J. Finley to start. It's easy to want him to start. The storylines, you got to be happy for what he did this past week, and it was refreshing. But with Knicks, I don't want to say that he's run his course because he still has a year and a half, two years actually, of eligibility remaining. Well, last year it didn't count. He's got more than that. He's got two and a half years. I don't that but he he he's had opportunities to go out there and make adjustments to his game to adjust some flaws that he he's had right and I know that he's had different coaches I know he's had different coordinators but as a five-star quarterback he's not been able to get it done TJ Finley he's 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 new it's fresh for Auburn fans I feel like a lot of people just because it's a new face they'll be like oh I'm excited to, to potentially see this guy play more. For me, it's a little bit more than that. It's seeing how he reacted on Saturday. The confidence. As, as opposed to what we've seen for two years now under Knicks. And, you know, everybody wants to talk about it. It's like, well, in Knicks' first year, like he showed he had that clutch team, right? He's beaten Alabama. He's done all these different things. He beat Oregon. But he's not been able to go and win the games that Auburn should consistently right and he's and i don't think apart. we know if tj finley can do that either though i don't think we know that but it's nice to have somebody on roster that has not shown the lows that nicks has stooped to right what scares me so much is every time auburn's had a quarterback change mid-year it has not been a good year no. you know so i want to believe that everything's going to work out but we'll keep talking about this quarterback position when we come back on the other side of this break i got some thoughts on it too You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, the SBL 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Just reminiscing on the days of the Cox Cat. We've decided during the break that we will start John Samuel Schenker at quarterback. We'll let him take a snap. We'll let him do a pirouette like he's a ballerina. We'll let him throw it as far as he can downfield. Just see what happens. What's crazy to me is that that got vetted. And a group of coaches thought that was a good idea to run against one of the best teams in the country. Multiple times, might I add. It just happened once. And then you reached desperation against Alabama that year in 2016, and it reappeared. Who do you think brought that to the table? I don't know. They were just, I don't want to know. They were just like, listen, listen, here's what we're going to do. Who was the OC in 2016? Was that still Rhett Lashley at that time? I think it was Lashley, yes. And it was Lindsay in 2017. It's like, we're going to get our fullback, and we're going to let him take a snap, all right? 
We're going to let him spin around in a circle, get himself dizzy a little bit. Then we're going to let him just chuck it as far as we can. Or we're going to let him hand it off to somebody. How do you describe that to the player, though? (laughs) Look, this is going to work. You're going to take the snap. You're going to spin around, and then you're going to throw it. Like, How do you describe that to a player? And I wonder what the player's thinking. The player's thinking, yeah, this isn't going to work, but this is awesome. I'm getting my time to shine. He explains, he's like, all right, you're going to spin, you're going to throw it. One, two, three, right. All right, let's go. (laughs) Like, wait, what, what, what? No. Just trust me. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. Well, I want to go back talking about the quarterback position. That's what we were discussing in our previous break, and I had some thoughts on it. You and I were talking about what I think a lot of folks want is they want T.J. Finley to start, but the level-headed response is what you told me during the break, which is start Bo Nix with a short leash. It's easier to go to T.J. Finley after a couple of drives than to completely abandon Bo Nix going into this ball game, where you could already hurt his confidence going into this game right and again like I said during the break it feels it feels right to give Knicks who's been the leader of this team the opportunity to go out there and start but if he if he knowing what Finley is capable of if he is not able to go out there and perform consistently I think it's time to pull him and put Finley back in now do I how want many that? drives I, I you you, you give like him, are you even out of the first quarter yet no I think you give him three or four and if he's not able that to might get you together. out of the first quarter though true sure if it gets him out of the first it, i say three or four drives and if he's not put together one scoring drive he's out let's head to the phone lines now 334-321-1390 ty the tiger with us ty how's it going oh pretty good guys um so exactly what what is y'all's what is y'all's guys reasoning on, on why would you start Bo Nix? I, i'm i'm, I'm kind of confused on i mean what being, I don't understand how it's the level-headed um, call there. I, I, I'm kind of just still, I'm trying to grasp the what y'all's ideal is on on how it's a level-headed call. Well, I look back earlier in the week. I said that if you move on from Bo Nix right now, it's like being in a relationship. And I could be wrong here. I mean, there's a lot of layers to this, but it's like being in a relationship and then saying to the other person, "I think we should see other people." That relationship's never the same. Now, Bo Nix could handle it like a champ. He could be a great backup quarterback. He could be a model teammate in that situation. But I think we also know that there's enough instances that we've seen in football outside of Bo Nix, just any other quarterback, that when they've been benched, that has had the tendency to really hurt their confidence it really hurt their development I mean look at the NFL and Ty I know you're a big NFL fan congratulations to your Dallas Cowboys earlier this week but look at Mitchell Trubisky with the Bears he ends up in this carousel of quarterbacks and it's destroyed him and he actually showed some potential at time with the Bears now I know there was a lot more issues there considering Matt Nagy botched that position as well again again when, when you remember I've also talked about how you know there ain't bad kids bad parents right Sure. Look at how Mac Nagy has, 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 in my opinion, destroyed Mitch Trubisky. Look at Sam Darnold and how what he's done. He left in a, a bad situation cut and went into a great situation. Now he looks like an all-pro quarterback. Yeah. So, again, I, I don't – so so you're saying that we should start Bo Nix so it won't hurt Bo Nix's feelings? Well, I mean, no, let me finish the other said. side of it, though. I mean, yeah, let me finish the other <laughs> side of it, though. Let me get to the end of the point. The end of the point is – you better be 100% right that T.J. Finley is the fix. Because if you're wrong, you can't 
really go back to Bo Nix and expect it to also be the fix. You're you're already moving on and you're putting your chips on the table that TJ Finley is going to fix your season. And if you're wrong, which we've seen Auburn be wrong on this a lot, 2011, 2012, there was a revolving door with Chris Todd and Cody Burns in 08. We've seen this in several different instances. It has not been a good year in the past when Auburn has had to make a quarterback change mid-year. And oftentimes that quarterback was not the fix. And I don't think we know just yet. TJ Finley could end up being the fix, but if he's not, then you have shot this season with as difficult a schedule as Auburn's got moving forward. You have potentially destroyed it. I mean, and, that, and I guess that's what I'm not grasping because I just thought, I don't know what like you what what I don't expect anything different from Bo. I don't think I mean yeah I think the kid's a good um, quarterback. I think he's I think is you know he he is what he is um, as far as to his teammates. That that's one of my displeasures with Bo um in my opinion um but I I think he is what he is I think you you really gotta move on and try I mean again like he said like the coach said we played all the receivers all the running backs we had to try the quarterback and 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 I I think so far this season this coaching staff has masked the offensive line problems the the quarterback and receiver problem and, and, and you know I think that's that's one in the same. Um, you know, Bo, Bo Nix looked a lot better last year losing more games with Seth Williams sometimes. You know, even when we lose games, Bo Nix would drive down the field and literally it, it, it's like, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams literally just throw after throw to Seth Nix and driving down the field. And, you know, he looked like an okay quarterback. But we don't have that Seth Williams, so you've got you've to have a playmaker back there. I don't. I just don't think Bo's the playmaker. I I, I really don't. Um, and again, I mean, I just, you know, people just. I, I don't see what they see in Bo as far as as is. It's like he's got all the potential, but yet you don't want to give T.J. Finley potential and what he could do because he kind of showed you that he's a little bit more, uh, you know, a, a little bit more clutch um, to me than Bo. Yeah, but then you go back two years ago, and I'm trying to figure out it. And look, though these things could be gone. Like Bo Nix, I'm with you. Bo Nix very well could have reached the end. We could have ran our course here. I'm not disagreeing with you totally on a lot of what you're saying, but you do go back. I mean, Bo's had some clutch plays in his career. Beat Alabama, beat Oregon in his freshman season. I'm trying to and figure my- out what happened to him to take him from destroying and dismantling LSU last year and being able to throw all over the place against those guys and then on top of that you've seen some other really great games from you've seen some great games from them this year across the first two weeks those teams were awful I get it but I'm trying to figure out what happened in the span of two weeks to take him from having this 90 percent completion percentage to not being able to hit the broad side of a barn with a football against Georgia State against wide open receivers and so part of me is like is that a fluke like was he just having a bad day is it too quick to to just close the book because of what we saw in the Georgia State game that's kind of where I'm at I'm trying to figure out how it got so bad so quickly and some people some people it happens like that I mean you know I don't know but I I I've like I said I haven't seen I haven't seen um Bo, you know, I don't, I don't see the clutch gene, but I see, I see players making plays like Seth Williams in the Oregon game and stuff like that. But anyway, I did want to call in and ask you guys. 
about the um, the uh, Franklin article, man, and get your thoughts on that. I thought that was really cowardly of that guy. And, you know, I, I just I, I wish he would never come back to Auburn. You know, I, I know the rumors of what happened the day he got fired midseason. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to speak on that or say it's true or not true, but – you know, I just thought it was really cowardly, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up and listen to you guys. Appreciate it, Ty. Always love the phone call, my man. That was Ty the Tiger on the line with us. We always have a really good conversation with that guy. Yeah, always yeah. enjoyed. Always, always a fun discourse with Ty. I really appreciate it. About the Tony Franklin thing, uh, I'm with him. I didn't like it. Did I didn't like it? I thought that it was a very extreme and harsh take. And we've seen some things, and this is what I saw on Twitter the other day that I kind of agreed with is that. You know, A, that was a very long time ago, Tony Franklin and Auburn, long, long time ago. I was very young back then, but I also want to add to this. It's not – Cornelius Williams didn't start coaching four games ago. Right. Cornelius Williams started coaching nine months ago or a little bit a little bit less than that. It's a little bit over eight months ago, you know. For the receivers to look at – look like what they do at this point, that's not a good look, you know. And if Harson thought that this was the move that needed to be made – um let's let the guy coach let's let the guy run the program it's four games in I just kind of wish folks would you know and I don't think there's a whole lot of this but I think there's a little bit of it just let him run the program you know let's let's see what comes of this before we jump to conclusions let's head to our next caller on the line with us 334-321-1390 Ed is with us Ed how you doing oh he's already he gone Um, he gone that's all right Ed call back we want to hear from you my man 334-321-1390 add to the Tony Franklin yeah, I agree. I, I, th- I thought it was a really, really harsh take. It was a, a really aggressive it's take. It's jarring. It's not often that you see someone make comments like that. Right, and I don't I don't have anything much else to say other than I thought it was just a really extreme take on what's going on right now. And I just, uh, it, I, you don't, again, you don't see things like that very often. And let's at least see how it plays out. Right. You got to, you got to, it's four games into a season, right? It's four games into a tenure. You got to be able to give the guy at least a year, year and a half before you can truly evaluate where the program is. On the at. flip side, though, some people might say, why didn't Cornelius Williams get that? Because, like you mentioned, I'm just playing devil's advocate with you. This is not, he's not a coach, he's not a head coach. He's a position group coach. They, those, those guys come and go, right? You gave him nine months, like you mentioned, to try and get this receiver group who is incredibly inexperienced to a position where they can play consistently. And he wasn't able to do that. And we've seen the product on the field reflect that through four games. So as a, as a position group coach, yes, I am discounting his tenure and how much time he deserves to get before he is given the boot. He got nine months. the The product did not look great. I think that's that's a, enough of a reason to say, look, like Brian Harson said, there's no timetable on when we should let people go. It wasn't good. We let him go. Also, adding to this, looking at the receivers' position, it needs to get better, and it needs to get better fast mm-hmm. in more ways than just play. Because I've liked some of the things that I've seen from the receivers that were different from the past. They're extending out, reaching their arms out, catching the football away from their body. I'm glad that that was being taught. Recruiting was great under Cornelius Williams. If he wasn't still at the time that he was fired, at one point as we were getting to the start of the season, Cornelius Williams had his fingerprints on a lot of the high-profile commitments that Auburn has at this point. He was Auburn's highest-rated recruiter coming to the end of the summer and the start of the regular season. He did some good things. He really did. But I think 
what you see here is Auburn needs this position group to get better in a hurry. And so what is Brian Harson going to? He's going to a familiar face that has a really good track record with wide receivers because he needs them to get better quickly. Exactly. And again, we look at this LSU matchup and we question whether or not Auburn's going to be able to actually go into Death Valley and get it done. The pass rush is a concern. The quarterback is a concern. But you also have to have receivers that understand their assignments and are communicating and understand where they should be at on the field in such a hostile environment. You know, and going back to Ty's call, talking about the quarterbacks, I'm also having flashbacks to 2015, another year that somehow I forgot that Auburn made a quarterback change. And I guess that was the year where it turned out all right. It wasn't 2012, but Auburn still went 7-6 and that season. So should you really say it went all right? No, that was still not a good year for Auburn. But guess what happened in that LSU game? You were going into that game, and you were thinking, should Jeremy Johnson be taking the snaps? Mm -hmm. And... uh, that was a change that was made that season. Sean White ended up being the starter in that Kentucky game later on. That was, that LSU game, and of course, Jeremy Johnson, I think he finished that game. I don't think that that was a game where he got pulled, but that was a game where we were all like, this has to stop, right? And you kind of look at where we're at right now. Of course, it's a different game. That was game three, I believe, that year, maybe game four. Now you're going into game five for Auburn this year, but it's weird that you're kind of in a similar situation going to Death Valley and you've got you you do not have this quarterback situation nailed down which is not a place that you want to be at five games into your first season as head coach at Auburn I'm glad that you bring that up because in my mind and I maybe have said this occasionally either on air or off air but in my mind I'm starting to draw comparisons to this season and 2015 there are a lot of there are a lot of similarities uh in what's actually going on uh on the field and off the field Uh, So it's going to be interesting with LSU this weekend. Obviously, quarterback controversy hurts uh, hurts Auburn's ability to go in there and actually perform this weekend. Like you mentioned, we saw that back in 2015. And we also saw that 2015 team struggle immensely against a uh, opponent that Auburn was expected to go out there and handle, i.e. we also got to see it against Georgia State this past weekend. Let's head to the phone lines now. We got a couple minutes here for a call with Ed, who has called us back. 334 321 1390. Ed, we appreciate you calling back, my man. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great, guys. I apologize for having to leave earlier, but something came up. But I just had a couple of things that I just want. One thing I wanted to mention from what I've heard, you know, let's just put out there the possibility that there was a little bit more that went to Cornelius Will, William Spire, than um, performance on the field. Can I just put it like that? Sure. There, there might have been something else that happened. I've heard some people before. suggest that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm suggesting it, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty big time. But as far as Bo and TJ, uh, uh, Art, uh, 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 did y'all just say that you think it, was uh, uh, what? Are you, what is your opinion on on that? As far as like both struggling, put TJ in, and then the next game, or, or uh, because some guys struggle, and it, I think, and y'all just talked about, and I hear it all the time about uh, coaches that will run a quarterback by not taking him out when when the things are, are bad on him, and I to me. I saw that with Bo 
and and they should have taken Bo out when Gatewood was, you know, there, and they had that those passages, and Gus just, just would not do that, and it, I think it broke Bo's confidence. I don't think I don't, you know, well, we hadn't seen the same Bo since, and, and you know, so I don't think you can say that uh, that hey, what uh, Gus did work. It absolutely did not. We saw a good Bo Nix in his freshman season. But after that, in his sophomore year when that happened, and, and he did not put Gatewood in, and, and, and just give Bo a few, I just cannot for the life of me, you know, understand why people can't admit that Gus Malzahn did a, a big disservice to Bo Nix. He didn't help him out for sure. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it, Ed. That was Ed calling in to us here on On the Line. We're going to head to a quick break here. When we come back, we will add to that call a little bit. We'll respond to it on the other side of this break. Still breaking down the Auburn quarterback controversy going into Baton Rouge. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line. Three segments in now to talk about this quarterback position. And... This is the hot topic of conversation this week. It's a report Wednesday on all the lines. So we're still breaking down what LSU has got on film, what they've got statistically. And in the second hour, we will break down some other fun stats on strengths and weaknesses for LSU. But if you've missed any of what we've done today, you have missed a great show so far. And you've missed some really in-depth stuff on LSU schematically and what Auburn can maybe do to exploit it and where LSU might be able to exploit Auburn at that. So if you've missed any of today's show, I do encourage you at about 4.30 today, that'll be when the podcast is up, go and find it. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. That's how you can find it. Absolutely. Again, yeah, like you mentioned, some great stuff on LSU schematically, breaking down what they like to do. To kind of summarize what what my thoughts were on this offense, we'll get to the defense, but it's Madden. It's essentially the way that I would play Madden is, is essentially it's quarterback what friendly for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now going back to Ed and Ty the Tigers call and still looking at this quarterback position and who we would want to start. And I asked you, and I haven't given my thoughts on this yet, but I asked you, who do you want to start? And you said TJ Finley. I'm in agreement with you. Who I want to start, though, is different than who I think will start and what I think is the more level-headed thing to do. And I can recognize that. I can see that I am impulsive. And, And not saying that any of our callers are impulsive, but I think the emotional and the impulsive thing to do maybe is to start TJ Finley after what we saw against Georgia State. He had one good drive. He made some plays. He made some clutch plays. Love what we saw from him. I really do. But on the flip side, and I think there's also potential for all the things that Ty said in his call to be true, for TJ Finley to have a higher upside. Maybe Bo Nix really has run his course. But, and sure, Bo Nix has struggled a lot at this point. Bo Nix has struggled a lot at this point in his career. This Georgia State game was not the only one. But the Georgia State game, I think, was his worst game of his career. I want to see at least a couple drives in the LSU game. I I think that's what we'll get before I'm ready to close the book. And then if things aren't working, then go with TJ Finley. Absolutely, yeah. It's something that we were talking about a little bit off air, just like, you know, does TJ Finley, like Ty said, does TJ Finley give this team a better opportunity to go out there and win? And that's kind of what I'm thinking at this point, right? Three three years, rather, into Bo Nix's career, 
you would think with a new fresh face, and like you said, it's the impulsive thing to, to want, but still. It's emotionally what I want to see. I want TJ Finley to start internally, but I also think it would be smarter to give Bo a couple of drives. As of right now, TJ Finley has not shown the ability to lose games the way that Knicks has in the past. Right now, we're sitting here thinking, based on that one drive, which is... It's not rational to go off of just one drive, but I'm looking at TJ Finley. I'm looking at this team. I'm like, this team can get better under TJ Finley if he plays to that level. I think so. And I want to keep expounding on that because we've ran out of time here in hour number one. Just wanted to say Ed just called back in. He said that he would start Bo. And uh, I was kind of getting the gist from that from his call too. And, uh, you know, it's kind of split. I know a lot of folks out there want to see Finley. A lot of folks want to see Bo. We'll keep talking about that coming up in hour number two. are on the line live on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 fm in birmingham and sylacauga and in auburn on espn 1067 or online on fox sports 983.com and espnau.com you are on the line with noah gardner and lance daw join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500 Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun hour number one. And if you missed any of it, you missed a great hour. Thank you to all the folks who called in. If you want to call in in this hour, phone lines are open all hour long. Taking your calls, 334-321-1390. If you missed any of the show so far, go and find it on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Hour number two is also going to still be, it's going to be a doozy. We got Report Wednesday continuing on. We'll talk about LSU's strengths and weaknesses, some in-depth statistics that we've got on them, what they do well, what they don't do well, how Auburn matches up with those strengths and weaknesses. We'll give you some of those statistics here in hour number two, as well as play a rousing edition of In on the Fence or Out. We take a look at some of the teams ranked in the AP Top 25. We tell you which teams we're in on, which teams we're out on, and which teams we need a little bit more information about And I would say, and although Auburn is not in one of our trios today for that game, I would say Auburn's one of those teams that I need a little bit more information about before I just bail on them completely. And I think this year's, or this week's top 25 poll, rather, not this year's, this week's top 25 poll. Honestly, you could say this year's. This year's top 25 polls that have came out each week tells you that folks need more information on Auburn. And that's where I want to start hour number two off. I need just a little bit more information at the quarterback position before I move on to TJ Finley and I'm willing to give Bo Nix three or four drives like you said with a short drive or a short leash rather short leash to try get some things moving get into a rhythm because we've seen when Bo Nix can get into a rhythm he can be effective the problem is he is so sporadic that one day he will have a 90% completion percentage the next day he will do what he did last week, and it could cost you a ball game. So I understand folks wanting some more consistency, but I don't think we know just yet, especially based on what we saw from TJ Finley last year, and even the little bit of sample size that we have this year, I don't think that we can say with certainty that TJ Finley will give you better than that. I'm okay with people guessing and saying, yes, he will, and I know you've said that. And, I, and I'm, I'm almost in that boat 
because emotionally and internally, I think I want to see a fresh new phase and see TJ Finley start on Saturday for Auburn based on what we saw this past week. But he still missed a lot of throws. He still had a hard time moving the football until the last drive. And maybe, you know, and and we were talking with Ty the Tiger about this when he called in. I'm just trying to figure out and make sense of how Bo Nix just fell off a cliff performance-wise from one game to the next. That was the worst game he has played in his Auburn career last Saturday. And I kind of just internally want to think, man, it wasn't his day. Give him another shot. Let's see if that's true. I think Auburn probably should have benched him quicker on Saturday. You might have seen a turnaround faster, right? But they were going to stick with their guy all the way through. But because I just because I say that I think they should have benched him quicker, that was more because I just don't think that his head was there. I don't think that it was... It just wasn't his day. And sometimes quarterbacks need to take a ride on the pine just to say, you know, just to get their minds right. And TJ Finley came out there and did some good things in the fourth quarter and won over the football game. But uh, I'm still not totally certain that I'm ready to just impulsively jump into the TJ Finley boat because I've seen this not work out in the past. It's the consistency that I think a lot of Auburn fans, including myself, are yearning for, right? They crave it. At that position. We want somebody that goes out there and they don't, one day, like you mentioned, they have a 90% completion percentage, like Bone did against Akron. And then you know they what his season around. completion percentage is now after say, starting the year off? I want to say 61, 62. It's lower than that. Are you kidding? 60% flat. Man, oh man. 6.9 yards per attempt. Also not good. No. TJ Finley this year, though, 13 for 23. completion percentage, 185 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, 9 of 16 in the game against Georgia State. I mean, it was not fantastic. He got the job done, but he still missed some throws, right? So here's what I like about T.J. Finley. He's not afraid to pull the trigger. Me and you were talking about this off-air earlier, and I want you to elaborate on it, but he's not afraid to pull the trigger at any point on the field. He hasn't thrown any picks yet. Last year he made some mistakes. It dropped him all the way to third string on the LSU depth chart. That's why he's at Auburn right now, because he wasn't going to play this year. He may have not played ever again at LSU, barring injuries, if he hadn't transferred. And now he's in a position to potentially take over the Auburn starting quarterback role for a long time, might I add. He's a freshman. I know he played last year, but it didn't count. He's got four years of eligibility. So you can say the fact that TJ Finley and Bo Nix are already so close together right now in performance and play that you could say that T.J. Finley's upside is higher than that of Bo Nix because he's got so much more time to develop and he's already at this point in his career already pushing Bo Nix to the brink, right? The other thing I like about T.J. Finley, although he misses throws, I don't think that we've seen his confidence dip. Regardless of who he's played against, whether it was at LSU or Auburn, if he's missing throws, he's still pulling the trigger. He's not shying away from the same throw that he just missed. We saw him miss some throws downfield against Georgia State, but he kept pulling the trigger. I would like to see him hit those throws, of course, and I think that's one of the negatives that we could talk about with T.J. Finley. He's not overly accurate. Big arm, not overly accurate. Kind of sporadic in terms of his accuracy. But if he can get me big plays and if he can be consistent all year long at around a 59 60% completion percentage, not turn the ball over a whole bunch, and not lose his confidence, I think he does give Auburn a better chance to win the Bo Nix against some big opponents because Bo Nix has shown the ability to fold in some big games. You talk about throughout the course of this season so far, right? Something that we've liked about Bo Nix is his ability to be decisive with the football, right? The question, though, lies in his accuracy. We saw multiple times against Georgia State, while he might have been 
choosing to go to a guy, it's like, sure, that's a, that's the right decision. You still missed him. You still were not, you, you still were just not accurate. What I like about TJ Finley, even though he also had some accuracy issues, is you talk about his aggressiveness, right, as a quarterback. He's a risk taker. You saw him attack the middle of the field on that final drive. Maybe it was because Auburn's back was against the wall and they had to. But we saw him not just go outside. We saw him attack the middle of the field and choose to go for those potential touchdowns two or three different times. And you remember that one touchdown. I think it was Javaris Johnson that laid out in the end zone to try and catch that pass. It was just slightly out of his reach. But he got Knicks, pushed. Knicks, that was P.I. Knicks was not a risk taker until it was panic time, right? And he had to force stuff, and there would be turnovers. T.J. Finley, who knows? He may have that same issue. We don't know. We've only seen a game from him, uh, or essentially a game from him over the course of his Auburn career. But I like the way that he takes chances downfield, and we saw that multiple times. We saw that at LSU a few different times. We saw it in the Auburn game as well, whenever Finley was playing for LSU. That's what I like. Or what I like from what I've seen from Finley so far. The question is, and I know that the emotional thing to do is after seeing things like that, it's like, yes, I want that out of my quarterback. That gives the, that gives the team opportunity to get better, it gives the opportunity for the team to actually score and to win games. But I don't think we have enough of a sample size to kind of, kind of decide that he is that guy, right? That he is this, this incredibly confident quarterback, this gunslinger type of dude that, that will go out there and will take these shots downfield and will, will make this offense better. Quarterbacks get better, quarterbacks develop, and they do it on a week-to-week basis. Some of them, it is a step-by-step process across the year. Others, it could be one thing that happens in a season that all of a sudden it clicks and they take off. We've seen that before. We've seen it at Auburn. We've seen it at other locations. Here's another factor that I want to bring up. And this quarterback position and this conversation that we've been having all week with callers, me and you talking about it, I'm not going to be mad at Auburn. I'm not going to be mad with whatever decision is made. Right. I'm going to ride with it. I'm going to say, yeah, that that was, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that decision. That is, I understand why they made it, right? I'll understand both. And my reasoning for that is I do think there's stuff to like about both quarterbacks. And I, I do think that, you know, it, you're, there's just it's such a mixed bag. There's so many different factors going into it, and we just don't have enough information. We have a lot of information on Bo Nix, but what we don't have a lot of information on is TJ Finley and about whether or not it is truly the right move to go to this guy and move on. Like, we don't know if he gives us a better chance to win than Bo Nix. And there's so many different factors flying into it. And this is just another one that I that I, I want to bring up. What if the game against Georgia State, and there's no way to know this, but what if this, this game against Georgia State and that moment leading that team down the field 98 yards and leading his team to victory, what if that moment's enough to give him the confidence to make everything click and now all of a sudden he turns into a much better quarterback than what we've been seeing over the last couple of years at Auburn? The last thing that I want to happen, and that is possible, is for Finley to for for this coaching staff to have that confidence in Finley as a confident quarterback, right? And you do what we're thinking that Auburn might do is bring Bo Nix in as the starter on Saturday, give him that short leash, and they quench that fire. And then they they put Finley in. He has a drive that doesn't go so well. A couple series later, we see Nix back out there. You can't do that. You can't flip-flop in a game like this it is going to lose you the football game looking at this offense right now with tj finley i don't like what brian harson said 
just a few days ago about like, oh, we don't have a specific game plan for somebody like that. Or like, oh, I'm not going to tell you what, what the game plan is. Or, oh. I think that's just coach speak, though. It's See, but if it's. If I, it, they have to have different game plans for these quarterbacks see, based do, on what you're saying. But what I'm saying is I'm calling that out. I'm calling the coach speak out. I'm saying that's not if, – if you're going to talk to me like you're telling me the truth and you're being straight up with me, which he doesn't have to be. I'm not no, saying that he, he has yeah. to. But if he's going to be, if he's going to present himself as this serious guy and he's going to tell us all these different things that he's going to do to make this program better, if one of them is saying that the game plan doesn't change and the point of emphasis is to get better – the game plan, like I said a couple of days ago, it does change. I, I, th- I think what he was trying to say there, though, was, and I get what you're saying. I, I, I'm going to take this a step further. I think what his message was, was that both of these quarterbacks have to prepare for this game, and whoever we go with, they have to prepare, and they have to know the game plan, and they have to get ready. Regardless of who I'm starting, he's saying, I want all of my quarterbacks to get ready. Well, even if it's Grant Lawyer, Demetrius Davis, everybody better know the game plan and everybody better be ready to go against LSU is what he's saying. Right. So he's, he's, he's not tipping the hand. I think what he was saying, though, was – and there are differences to what each of these quarterbacks do. Like you pointed out earlier in the week, uh, Bo Nix is a lot more mobile than TJ Finley is, even though he looked very good running that ball that first down. That was a nice cut to, to free, him out, uh, free up some space. And he also was a lot quicker than I thought. He doesn't have a great burst. He's obviously a little bit more uh, – he's, he's larger than your average individual, so he's not explosive or anything. But once he reaches speed, he's not slow. He's just not fast either. You know, he's – I think he's faster than Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond was deceptively slow mm-hmm. at Texas A&M, you know. And people – I just I, – there are differences going back to – as I go down a rabbit hole. There, there was – there are differences between these quarterbacks, but I think the message from Brian Harson is – Everybody better be ready to go, and I expect that from everybody. And my point being is not only do I think that these quarterbacks should be ready, I think the coaching staff should be ready. I'm saying not only should these these players be ready to go out there and compete, you need to have, you don't need to be, You this isn't just one overarching message of get better. Obviously, there are different details to it, right? And so what I'm saying is, the game plan from this coaching staff better be in preparation as good as what these players are doing to prepare for this game, right? It can't just be the players have to get better. We, and he said this, everybody does have to get better. Yeah, I think he said I have to coach better. And so looking at what Mike Bobo does, looking at what the receivers coaches do, looking at what Brian Harson does to game plan for this, if you're going to go out there and you're going to flip-flop or if you're going to go with one guy, regardless of what happens, you need to come into this game with a plan that works and wins. Let's go to our making headlines segment now, bouncing around some of the other things happening around sports, whether it be college or professional. We've got just a few headlines today, so we go to it here in the middle of the start of our number two, just like we do every single day. And I want to touch on something happening in this state that I think is exciting. UAB opened the season, yes, with four straight road games. Four straight road games. When I saw that they were playing at home for the first time this season this weekend, I was like, wait, what? They didn't like play in some other stadium here in Birmingham? Like they they played four straight road games and they did. They played four straight road games. Well, one of this one of them was a neutral side. They they played Jacksonville State in Montgomery, but still they played away from Birmingham four straight weeks to start the regular season. They're three and one, manhandled two lane manhandled jacksonville state manhandled north texas they got destroyed of course by georgia but nonetheless you may be looking pretty good and now they get to play their first game in their new stadium protective stadium in birmingham i gotta say i'm happy for that program 
I'm happy for UAB fans after all the heartbreak that they were enduring in the mid-2010s with the program being shut down, and now they're back and they're they're winning ball games and there's there's investment into the football program this is a group of five team that's on the up and up yeah absolutely and look as a blazer fan myself as a team that they're a guy that roots for this team right i'm excited to see them finally get a home stadium that kind of feels like home right legion field uh didn't necessarily feel like that i'm just excited to see them back in the in, in what feels like a home stadium and moving forward i think this program is going to be able to do a lot of fantastic things and they get to play a very good group of five team, I should say, or they have been. They get to host Liberty this Saturday, October 2nd at 6 p.m. That's going to be a fun game. I don't know if it's televised or not. That I don't know. I'm going to check on that real quick while we move on to our second headline. Auburn basketball opened up practice, first practice of the year, first practice of the season, that is, yesterday with the season only a little over a month away. Can you believe it? I can hear the basketball bouncing. And I said this on Twitter just yesterday, actually, and I'm not discarding football. I love college football so much. It's very close to me. We all know you'll be back on it when Auburn wins this weekend. But I'm really excited, and I think a lot of us are, based on what we've been hearing this offseason, that I'm really excited for Auburn basketball, man. I'm really looking forward to the schedule. I'm really looking forward to seeing all these new pieces, these new faces, how they fit together, how they gel. I'm looking forward to see Auburn actually having a point guard uh, for the entire season, potentially. We could see uh, Seb Jasper, Wendell Green. Uh, it's going to be a really fun season. I can't wait to get Flanagan back. This feels like one of the most complete teams that Auburn's had in a while, and I'm just excited to see how it all comes together. UAB, going back to our previous headline, UAB does host Liberty on CBS Sports Network. That game is at 6 p.m., so you can watch former Auburn quarterback Malik Willis, and they just lost to Syracuse this past weekend. Liberty does not appear to be as good as they were last year. They're going on the road to UAB. That's a test for UAB here early on. UAB's coming out of the Conference USA. I say they're an up-and-up group of five team, and some people may take offense to that because I'm saying that they're not one of the best group of five teams out there. They're not. They play in the Conference USA. That is a significantly worse. That's one of the worst conferences in FBS. The best team in Conference USA is not on the same plane as your Boise's, your UCF's, your Cincinnati's. It is a step below the American, but UAB is putting a lot of investment into their program, and they are on the up and up. That is me saying that I think one day they can get to that point with all of the talented players in this area of the country, in Alabama, Georgia, Florida, that they can recruit into. Go and find you a Jarquez Hunter. Jarquez Hunter was a three-star. If Auburn hadn't offered him, where would he have been, right? There are guys out there. If, if Jarquez Hunter had ended up at Mississippi State, would have cried. Like, that would have been just a crime. <laughs> Which I believe he, I believe it was either State or Ole Miss that was, that was also looking at him as well. I think it was Mississippi State. but that would have been terrible. Going to our third headline here, and you can actually listen to this game here tonight on ESPN 106.7. The Atlanta Braves, they are in game two tonight with the Philadelphia Phillies. Last night, they edged out the Phillies 2-1 to one to win the first game of this pivotal series. Puts them up by three and a half games in the division. The work is not done. You still have five regular season games left, and then barring whatever happens with the Rockies postponement. But they are in a pretty good position they need to win this game in the series though you win this game in the series you are looking mighty fine going in down the stretch this is a big game at pennant chase baseball and once again you can check you can check out coverage of that after the drive on espn 106.7 check it out 6 p.m here on espn 106.7 
It's going to be a hype matchup. It's going to be a hype matchup. Last night's was too. I don't know if y'all saw it, but the Phillies loaded the bases in the ninth. And, Will Smith. And it was Will, it was the Shuts Will Smith the door. show. <laughs> Absolutely. I, this bullpen uh, has been progressively, I feel like, getting getting better and better. And that's really good to see heading into postseason play. And then one last headline here before we go to break. NFL news. Richard Sherman signed with the Buccaneers to help that struggling secondary. Doing a little bit with some injuries. I know Jamel Dean hurt his knee this previous weekend. It's not expected to be serious, but it is potentially going to sideline him for, for a little bit. So, you know, nothing serious, but also something that could be a factor throughout this season and for the near future for Jamel Dean. And then Carlton Davis at this point uh, is having some struggles as well. I don't want to say that Sherman is washed, but I've not seen him return to what I feel like is his prime form in a few seasons. Maybe uh, maybe going to Tampa Bay will kind of, uh, kind of bring that back in him. But he is one of the best available free True. agents out there at cornerback. They just need some help. But uh, you are right. Does this move the needle? I don't know. He's a big name. That's why it's getting some attention. But the Buccaneers made some moves they're trying to help out their secondary a little bit there's been talks about him coming earlier this week to go and work out for him and then apparently they had had some talks they were been in conversations for weeks now and Buccaneers are getting some help trying to help out that defense that just got torched yep. by the Los Angeles Rams this past weekend so they are human <laughs> but the Rams look great yeah and I think that's fun for football the Rams looking good and Matthew Stafford actually being put on a competent football team is fantastic to watch Let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, we continue Report Wednesday. What are LSU's strengths and weaknesses? How does Auburn match up with those strengths and weaknesses? We talk about that when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Report Wednesday. We're taking a look at the LSU Tigers. I was so excited to come into the studio today for Report Wednesday. It's one of my favorite shows of the week, and it's because we get to really dig in and talk some football and what these teams do schematically, what they're doing on film, statistically digging into some of these numbers, breaking down strengths and weaknesses, and that's where we're at right now, talking about LSU and how Auburn matches up with their strengths and weaknesses. Lance, give me a strength from this LSU football team. I think the strength of this football team is while they don't blitz a lot, like we mentioned earlier in the show, they have been able to get after their quarterback and they have produced a lot of tackles for loss. I believe they're tied for the lead in the nation right now in sacks. Uh, it, it, they've they, got 20 through four games. They've been uh, they've been pretty solid on that front. Now, like you mentioned, have they blitzed a lot? No, but the fact that they're not blitzing and they're able to get to the quarterback is impressive. On the other side of that, though, only five sacks against the two decent teams they played. Right. But that is still two and a half per game, which is decent. It's above average. It's pretty good. But four of those was against a super mobile quarterback and Dorian Thompson Robinson, mm -hmm. which is impressive. And then they only had one against Mississippi State, which folks on the surface may say, oh, that's horrible. They only got one against Mississippi State? Well, Mississippi State gets the ball out of their quarterback's hands really quickly. They don't give the opposing team the opportunity to get after the quarterback. So, on the one hand, I think the fact that LSU is not blitzing is a massive positive for Auburn. I think they'll be able to handle three guys, four guys coming after them as long as communication is key. But on the flip side of that, is communication going to be well-oiled? Is it going to be operating at a high level at 8 p.m. in Death Valley? Because it wasn't two weeks ago in Happy Valley. Was it terrible? No, but it wasn't always where it needed to be at. It was enough to get Auburn to an eight-point loss, but I still go back to 
Auburn can't have what happened in the Georgia State game on the last play where TJ Finley had two guys in his face. You go back and watch that film, they just didn't block them. It wasn't that they didn't get beat or that they got beat. It was that they just didn't block them. And that's a communication thing. So communication going to be key for Auburn up front because I do think the pass rush is formidable. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that Smoke Monday talked about a lot uh, during his media availability yesterday, right? Talking about communication, communication, communication. Anytime he was asked a question about the defense, it was going to back, back to communication. If I hear communication one more time after this game, you're going to lose it. <laughs> I feel like you're going to lose it right now. I'll add a different strength to this team. I will say the secondary on top of that pass rush. I'll say in, con- in combination with it because while they are giving up a decent completion percentage at 66%, that's much lower than where Auburn's at. And I said earlier in the show, if you want to know what LSU does on defense, look in the mirror. Look at what Auburn does. Very similar, but I think LSU's operating actually at a slightly higher level than Auburn is in terms of pass coverage. I don't think they're giving up as many big plays. They're obviously giving up a lower completion percentage at 66% than what we saw, even though the first couple of weeks against some bad teams that Auburn was facing. They're limiting big plays in the passing game. Opposing quarterbacks are averaging just 6.9 yards per attempt. That, subsequently, is also what Bo Nix is averaging this year. But opposing quarterbacks it's a mixed bag with the secondary they obviously have talent back there I don't think it's operating at the level that it could with how much talent they have back there part of that may be scheme part of that maybe they don't blitz a whole lot part of that may be they're in coverage for a while but opposing quarterbacks are averaging just 6.9 yards per attempt they're also though giving up nine TDs to just three picks this year so like on the one hand opposing teams have been able to throw the ball they give up a lot of passing yards per game it's near 300 i think you pointed out earlier it's like 297 they're like towards the bottom of the league in that category i remember you saying that but on the flip side passing game the passing game is not beating them either right i mean they are still three and one and it's not like ucla torched the earth with them through the air they were able they were pretty balanced it was a 250 to 200 ish pass run split in that ball game so it's a mixed bag there, but I think they got talent. I still call this secondary a strength. I think you would agree with that. Yeah, I, I would as well. And you look at the passing numbers in terms of what they're allowing in that secondary, like you mentioned, it's 237 yards passing per game. Which oh, is still, excuse me, I got the numbers flipped. It's still My bad. 12th in the SEC. It's still one of the worst in the um, conference. Defense, I guess, has made a little bit of a, a comeback at least so far throughout this season, as opposed to what we saw last season. But they haven't been overly tested either. No, they have not. And while Mississippi State, obviously, was that it was that air raid, it didn't. Mississippi State didn't do a whole lot to really stress this defense. It's right? not going to stretch you vertically. They they don't. If you look at Will Rogers as a quarterback, he is making the easy throws. It is like I I watched that game and I looked up every once in a while and I saw oh another swing pass to a running back. This running back has to lead the team in receptions. How often do they throw to this guy? It, it, it was quite. It was quite often. I could pull it up, <laughs> it, but but yeah, it, they, they didn't do a whole lot to really stress LSU's defense out. Now the question is: Is Auburn going to be able to do that? I don't know, especially with the with what what's going on with the receiver room right now, right? And the quarterback room, and the quarterback room, and the offensive line, and the offensive line. It's just, just everything. Everything is, is, is not and fade on. routes on fourth down. Yeah, it's it's uh, consistent. They, they talk about consistency. It's the one thing Auburn does. It's like, well, we're in a stress stressful situation. Chuck it up to back of the end zone. See what happens. When we come back, we'll continue to break down these strengths and weaknesses. We got one more strength for the LSU offense, and then we get to the weaknesses of the LSU Tigers and how Auburn might be able to exploit it. You're listening to On the Line.
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Lance, good show. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a fantastic show. We've gotten to uh, break down LSU schematically. We've gotten in the last segment to talk about some of their uh, strengths. We also talked a lot about the uh, quarterback battle between Bo Nix and T.J. Finley heading into this uh, game against LSU this Saturday. Really fun show. That's right. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Looking at the last strength for the LSU Tigers, Lance, passing game? Passing game. Yeah, absolutely. And while we might have said earlier in the show that it was very simplistic. It still has been relatively potent so far this season. Max Johnson has been a relatively efficient quarterback, like he brought up earlier. He's really good whenever he's attacking the intermediate part of the field, whenever he's throwing either either in the middle of the field or closer to the line of scrimmage, I believe is what you said earlier. He's been efficient. He's not been like world-beater impressive because that all this offense does is throw the football, but he's still been good. This is a huge caveat that I'll go with with the passing game here, though. They have to keep the pocket clean for Max Johnson to be successful. He has faced pressure a little over 33% of the time this season. And when he faced it, it's bad. 40.5 completion percentage, one one touchdown, one interception. He's not turning the ball over on the one hand. I mean, that's just one pick. But... He is not completing a lot of his passes, and you see his efficiency go, it plummets. It hits the floor. So Auburn pass rush, that's going to be key. Absolutely, and it was very similar to what we saw again. We talked about this earlier in the show. It's very similar to what we saw against Penn State, what we assumed would be the key matchup in the Penn State game. is that pass rush affecting Sean Clifford. We've seen Sean Clifford struggle under pressure in the past, and Auburn either did not blitz or whenever they did, they couldn't get home would be interesting to see if Auburn adjusts in this game and see maybe they throw some more blitzes at Max Johnson in, in this hostile environment. Who knows? Let's go to weaknesses now for the LSU Tigers and some potential areas that Auburn may be able to exploit. And something that I saw here was I said, okay, on the one hand, LSU's weakness on offense does play to Auburn's strength on defense. So that doesn't help Auburn out a whole lot because LSU's strength is the passing game. And that's so far, I think, has been Humbert's weakness on the defensive side of the ball is defending the passing game. So that doesn't really help you out there. But on the defensive side of the football, LSU's weakness happens to be where Auburn's strength lies. So I think these two teams offensively are pinpointing the opposing team's weaknesses in a really positive way for them for themselves individually on offense. So I think both of these teams should be able to move the ball a little bit against each other. But it comes down to whoever wins this ballgame is going to be able to overcome their weaknesses and be able to at least stifle a little bit about what the other team wants to be able to do. LSU weaknesses, offensive side of the ball, they can't run the football. They can't do it. 2.9 yards per carry, enough said. Even when they've tried, they still can't can't run the football. Against, like you mentioned, McNeese State and Central Michigan still couldn't run the football. It's it, it's it's Wild. not it's not something that this offense even when they want to do it again they cannot establish the ground game and I think part of that comes back to the way this offensive line is playing which is that labeled as a weakness sort of they've definitely had their issues so far this season pass protections the better side of it but they're also doing things to make the pass protection better you know 
I mean, the fact that Max Johnson has faced pressure 33% of the time, I don't think is a good statistic for the offensive line. That, mm-hmm. that still seems a little bit high. So I, I think they've been kind of above average to average in terms of pass protection, but run blocking is just plain and simple. It's bad. They can't run block. They can't get to the second level and take linebackers out of the play. These running backs, I don't think, have played poorly. I don't think that they're a top-half unit either, though. I think they've got some talent there, but I don't, I don't think they're a top-half unit. But this offensive line has not been good. Now let's go to the other side. Defense, weakness. Auburn's going to be able to exploit this time and time again if they can keep them honest. Because LSU could come into this and say, we are going to fill this tackle box up with as many people as possible. Beat us in the passing game. And because it's an Auburn problem in the passing game and not necessarily, and also the strength of the LSU defense is defending the pass, Auburn may not be able to do it. And then that may be what helps LSU stop this Auburn rushing attack. But if you look at LSU statistically so far this season, they have not been very good at stopping the run either. Mississippi State and Air Raid team was able to put up over 100 yard rushing, 4.4 yards per carry. UCLA averaged four and a half yards per carry. You have to keep in mind this is college football sacks count as sta- uh, as as rushing yards, as negative hits to their rushing yard totals. Running backs did better in these in these games than what these rushing statistics will tell you. They also have just a 28.9 tackling grade according to pff in the ucla game auburn has similar types of players if not better that can abuse lsu in the running game so if lsu doesn't come ready to play doesn't come ready to tackle in space auburn could bust off some big plays in the rushing attack like we've seen with tank bigsby and jark west hunter they did not tackle well in the ucla game mississippi state doesn't possess the same types of athletes that ucla and auburn possess so and their offense is a little bit different as well in terms of being able to get those guys out in space and get them to be able to make plays so I think you look at that UCLA game and you're like all right they were that bad in that game have they gotten a little bit better yes but Auburn I think could still exploit so-so tackling that has hurt their run their, their run defense at this point I think Tank Bigsby if he is 100% healthy is going to have a good game I think Jarquez Hunter also could have a good game but again like you mentioned it comes back to how does this LSU defense approach Auburn's offensive attack, period, right? Like you mentioned, they could just stack the box like Georgia State did. They could just say, okay, we're going to make sure that you can't run the football. We're just simply going to have more guys in the tackle box than you do. Georgia State put on film how to beat Auburn's rushing attack. Either either beat us whenever we're trying to stop your run game, which Auburn didn't do against Georgia State, like you just said, or throw the football. And Auburn has not shown the ability to throw the throw the football at least consistently so far this season. Can Auburn exploit what has been a three four zone, very similar to what Auburn has been doing? Absolutely, I think they're going to have the opportunity to do that. It's just whether or not the communication, the quarterback play, and the offensive line can hold up against this LSU defense that has gotten sacks on on teams in the past. After all of this that we've broken down today, statistically about LSU strengths, weaknesses what they want to do on offense and defense from a scheme perspective, the tendencies that they've shown us this year up to this point. I want a final evaluation from each of us here. I'll start with you. Does Auburn match up well with LSU or vice versa? How do these teams match up with each other? I think the most important thing right now in this matchup is Auburn's defense, right? They've not played well uh, throughout the course of the season in different areas. And we've seen multiple times against really bad opponents at home, three different games where there will be a throw or to a receiver and the receiver will be open. It'll be a busted coverage. 
and the quarterback was either just not good enough to make the throw or it was just incomplete or there was pressure or whatever. In these games against SEC opponents that are where, where the teams are more polished, I think you're going to see some of those coverages get exposed, right? In this game, I think that is really important. In, in whenever you're talking about this entire team in Auburn and matching up with LSU, I think at the end of the day, LSU has a lot of different things going for them whenever you're looking at this being at home. They hit Auburn's weaknesses and Auburn hits their weaknesses. I think they have the opportunity to be more explosive in this game. And I think that's what it comes down to. And I, and going back to what you just said, the reason why you think that they have a better chance to be more explosive than Auburn is because there has already been on film a bad football team showing they can stifle the Auburn offense right, and limit their ability to be explosive. Just look last week. Watch the film. Georgia State stacked the box on Auburn. Auburn still couldn't throw the ball. They couldn't throw the ball at Georgia State, who you and I pointed out has one of the worst secondaries statistically in college football. And they played Army. They played Army, man. That's a triple option team. They don't throw the football. And they still had statistically one of the worst secondaries in college football. So I'm, 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 I'm concerned like you are going into this game from a matchup perspective because while these two teams do pinpoint each other's squad's weaknesses it seems like Auburn's are potentially more fatal than LSU's right that's and and that's what it comes down to do I think Auburn has the ability to go out there and exploit some weaknesses that LSU has absolutely like you said these two teams seem to kind of pinpoint each other's weaknesses I think Auburn is going to have some success in each other's kryptonite right in this game but again, just comes down to, I think, after we saw the film last week against Georgia State, LSU has the opportunity to come into this game, a place that they have not lost to Auburn since 1999, and just simply be more explosive and just have more plays. So keys to this, I think we can also move to this part now, keys in this football game, I think you can say two things. Two things alone will determine whether or not Auburn will win this football game. Quarterback play, pass rush. Yep. It's, it's as simple as that. If Auburn can't throw the football consistently throughout this ballgame, I'm not asking for them to throw for 250 and four tutties. You know, I'm not asking for them to throw for four touchdowns. You know, I'm not asking for that. Okay. I'm saying they have to keep the opposing defense honest. They got to be able to move chains. They got to be able to, in like a third and six, to be able to make a throw that keeps the drive going. They got to be able to move some of those guys out of the tackle box. And if they can't, Auburn will not win. Then you go on to the defensive side. Quarterback play is honestly more important to me than the pass rush because Auburn was only lost by eight and had no pass rush against Penn State. So quarterback play is more important to me. If Auburn had quarterback play in the Penn State game at a high level, Auburn wins that Penn State game despite how poor the pass rush was. So quarterback play here, and that's obvious, the most important position on the field. It can make up for a ton of weaknesses on a football team. So that is more important in this ballgame is quarterback play. But I'll also say if you want to dismantle what LSU wants to do on offense, get a pass rush. And the question is, will Auburn actually come after the quarterback a little bit, blitz some more than they have been, and maybe run some more man concepts out on the outside? If they do, I, th- I think the defense can really limit what else you wants to do. It can give them fits all day long. But at the end of the day, I go back to the first point. If quarterback play can't move the chains in crucial moments on drives and help put together scoring drives, Auburn's going to have to move the ball 75 yards down the field. You are going to have to score when your drive starts at your 25. If Auburn can't do that, 
If Auburn can't move it from the 35 to the other end zone, they can't win this game. So the most important aspect of this game overall is quarterback play and making your quarterback comfortable and allowing them to be able to succeed. And my question to you is, which team gives their quarterback the better opportunity to succeed, LSU or Auburn? I think right now you're looking at LSU, right? And, and why is that? Break that down for me. It's it's similar to what, what I was talking about earlier in terms of the way that the you, you mentioned this earlier in the show. It's a very quarterback-friendly scheme, right? They're throwing the football all They've around. They've got better receivers. They've got better receivers. It's a lot of easy reads. It's very simple stuff. Offensive line is still a liability, but they at least have the connection between quarterback and receiver. And then I think things that are issues for this offense and this quarterback, I think a lot of those things – I don't think all of them are offset by the fact that this is a home environment, but I think some things that you'll see in this game will be offset because it is in Death Valley at night. And we've seen this script before, right? And LSU's got, and I'll add to this real quick before, before you get to there. I also want just to wrap up that point statistically. LSU's going to do more to make the other quarterback uncomfortable. They've shown the ability to do that more than Auburn has. Right. Auburn's pass rush hasn't been able to make any quarterback uncomfortable, whereas LSU's has got 20 sacks on the year. You've seen this script before, at least a very similar one, in the Penn State game. The reason why, as an Auburn fan, I might have confidence heading into this game, regardless of the fact that we don't know what the locker room looks like with the receivers right now, and regardless of the fact that we don't know who's really going to be our quarterback heading into this game, we saw Auburn go into this environment, a similar one, and have a very, very similar issues and only lose by eight. Now, having understood what your issues are, in game planning and improving on those things, you head into this game against what I feel like is a is a lesser opponent. You have the opportunity to go out there and correct some things and exploit some issues. This isn't me saying that Auburn's going to lose this football game. I still am reserving my pick for Friday when we do this, but Same. Uh, I don't like the matchup. I know you don't either. No, I don't. I don't. I really don't. It's it's the offense. It's it's the passing game that LSU presents against this defense. Because again, we've seen so many different times this season. Like, oh, that receiver was open. Thank goodness that quarterback didn't make that throw. You're going to face quarterbacks that make that throw this season, and it's going to hurt Auburn. It's going to hurt Auburn down the line. Let's take a quick break here on on the line. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Good show today, Lance. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fantastic. Gotten to uh, break down Auburn's quarterback situation. Gotten to uh, break down what LSU does in this previous segment. We were asking each other who wins these individual matchups in this game, LSU or Auburn. Obviously, we're reserving our picks for Friday. We don't feel great about the matchup. I don't feel great about the matchup, but I'll tell you this. Noah's gut did okay this past weekend, and Noah's gut feels like Auburn's going to win this game. Well, I didn't have a gut game last week, and I went twelve and three. I don't want to. I don't want to say Auburn LSU gut game for this one. I am not saying yeah. that. I'm not putting. I'm not putting I, the undefeated record on the line. I still feel something inside me, and maybe it's just me being a naturally an optimist. But um, something inside me feels like Auburn's going to win this weekend. I know I'm getting some looks in here, namely from intern Belichick, but. I don't think LSU's a good football team. I don't and, either. And I, something's just, it's hard for me to believe that this football program rotted overnight going from Penn State to Georgia State. Right. I just, I, I just don't believe that. So something inside me tells me 
the way, the way that this coaching staff is and the culture that they're trying to bring, things will turn around. Here's my issue because you look at Auburn's schedule after this, and we've talked about this. You look after this game and you start to wonder, okay, where does bowl eligibility come into play, right? Because we're at three three wins right now, right? You lose this game, it's going to be tough. I'm looking at two potential wins left on the schedule after this game, and that's Mississippi State and South Carolina. Oh, I, I don't know if I'd go to that extreme, though, to go ahead and say, not, not saying that you are, but I don't know if I'd go to that extreme to say that there aren't any other potential wins after Mississippi State and South Carolina. We don't know anything about Ole Miss, and I'm still not sold on Arkansas. My point being... And then A&M, I think, is very beatable as well. My point being, those two teams look like, right now, teams Auburn can beat. Moving down the line... You don't think A&M's a team that Auburn can beat? Right now, I'm I'm waffling on that one. But that's still a potential win, though. You know, so to rule it out, to say it... And, and I know this, this is just semantics, but... I, think, I still think Auburn's still on pace for Auburn, seven, eight games. Auburn's going to have to upset somebody to get to six wins, is what I'm saying. According to metrics, according to betting lines, according to ESPN's FPI, which I don't care about. Is that based solely off of this past week's performance, or is that based off of everything we've seen this whole year? I think it's everything that we've seen from this entire entire year, right? We didn't expect Arkansas to be good. We thought going into this game, like, oh, if Auburn's going to get to six or seven wins, that's going to be a game where Auburn can go in there and just establish dominance. I still think they're team. very beatable. They are, sure, but they're the, the, they're the number eight team in the country. They've already beaten two top top fifteen. It won't teams. be a number eight for long. Not after this week. Two 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 straight losses for Arkansas coming up. It's a difficult road to six wins. If you're going to get there, you are going to have to beat somebody that the media does not think you can beat right now. I think they can though. I'm still not. I I, I have a. I have a problem, and I'm not. I'm not down in what you're saying. It's a tough stretch. It's a very difficult schedule. I think A and M's bad. I'm not sold that A&M's beating Mississippi State this weekend. That that state defense is good. Please tell me you're picking State. No, no, not yet. Game. I don't think Mississippi State's really going to be able to score on A&M either. But, I mean, LSU's beatable. I think Arkansas and Ole Miss are still beatable. We haven't seen them play anybody. Until, until they do something that shows me they're not beatable, I think they're beatable. But if you want to say those games are farther away from Auburn right now, like it's less likely for them to win, sure, I agree with that. I'm just saying I think A&M, Mississippi State, South Carolina are all teams that Auburn can beat for sure. And let me say, I'm not saying that this is going to be the case. Like, like, like you're That's saying, seven wins, by this, the way. This is not going to be the case whenever these matchups occur. Like Arkansas, like you mentioned, is not going to be top or number eight, the number eight team in the country whenever Auburn plays them, right? But what I'm saying is right now, after what we've seen this season, not just from Auburn, but from the entire SEC, moving down the line, as of today, it's a tough road to six wins. Now, will we see things change before Auburn plays A&M, Ole Miss, Arkansas? I believe we will. And I think there's a, there's a positive attitude about that. And I believe there's a, a rational attitude to say teams will fluctuate. What happens right now is not going to be the way things look at the end of the year. What I'm saying is it's just going to, right now, looking down the road, like, Four top 15 teams, that's tough. Now, will they be top 15? No, probably not. It'll be top 25 when they play other than maybe A&M. It's still going to be tough. It's still it's still just a... Or A&M may not even be top 25 when Auburn plays them. And you talk about this week, Noah, about you're going to find out a lot about this team's character and the culture. We are going to find that out. And I think that will speak volumes as to what Auburn could potentially do in some of those games. Yes, I, I, I don't disagree. If Auburn loses this weekend, the path to bowl eligibility, I think, has has gotten grim. Okay, I just don't think Auburn's losing this weekend. 
I have a hard time believing, very hard time believing that um, this talented of a team wouldn't make a bowl game. That it's, would be a failure by this coaching staff. It's still, it's still, we talked about it all this offseason, man, about the 24-7 sports blue chip ratio, about the talent on this team, and about how this coaching staff is going to be able to bring out the best in some of these guys they are going to be able to develop some of these players and how Bonix was going to be able to take another step and how this offense was going to get better and the defense was going to get better and everything was going to, to lead to at least seven or eight wins. That's still on the table. I'm not saying that it's not, but but they're running out of time to get are, things right. Like we like we were talking about on yesterday's show, Monday or Monday show rather. Auburn has limited time to correct things because we are already a fourth, uh, four games into the season rather. Yeah, you're a third of the season, regular season, out of the way. It's getting tight. That's it for another edition of On the Line. Bill Cameron, Dan Peck, The Drive coming up after us. We'll be back tomorrow.